0: and you know and and that was a good one but you can tell that i didn't have the same perspective i did then than i do now back then i wasn't sure is this some type of espionage event where we're preventing these freescale engineers from getting to china and trying to steal them or was this some kind of anomalous ufo event and then it wasn't until later that we realized well these UFOs, or these orbs we see, are traveling at nearly Mach 3 speed, so this plane's not outrunning them, no chance, right? And yeah, they're filming before these orbs even show up as well, but you know, either they got extremely lucky and were like, hey, let's have our drone and our SIGINT system, and potentially there's AWACS in the area controlling these, that are looking down as well, we just uh, have our satellites stare at it, right? Either they got extremely lucky and caught this event, this anomalous event happened, or this was an operation. The strongest evidence to me is looking at the drone video. Because so when you look at the drone video, the operator zooms in and it's like they're trying to collect as much intelligence as they can about this event. And then they zoom out right before this endothermic event happens. Like they know it's about to happen.
1: The history of our earth is so different from what we can imagine. Enjoy to
0: journey. Enjoy the Smithsonian, journey. if they found out about a large skeleton somewhere, was to go get it. I'm gonna assume at least one person is right because if one person's right and bust the paragon, it all goes back to the fallen cherub and the problem with the modern day church they have a very truncated view of the supernatural this
2: backdrop that's just pregnant with all kinds of meaning associated with this mount Hermon event and this guy defects from the kingdom that's a big deal
1: to Blurry Creatures. Today we have a good, fun episode, a raw, like, you know, one of those mind-breaking episodes. We talk a lot about, I think on our show, we, we get into speculative round, realms a lot. We talk about these things. We take something we know to be true about the Bible, and we kind of try to figure out, all right, we have this little sliver of information. How do we make sense of this this crazy topic here? And uh, Flight MH370, the Malaysian a flight that went disappearing, that just disappeared in 2014. We are bringing on Ashton Forbes, who's sort of been the spear the spear point of breaking the news and finding the data, and kind of got you know swept into this, kind of got manic about this whole case and videos that were taken showing this airplane going from our realm to somewhere else, or going through a portal of some kind. I mean, it's clear as day on the video and he spends this whole episode debunking how all the naysayers and all the critics that these are faked. So, and Nate this is a wild story. I uh, this is something that's kind of
2: been on my radar. There's documentaries out of MH370, tons of theories and speculations, a lot of questions on on how does a a Boeing 777 just disappear? And this is one of the great mysteries really of you know of, of this generation is, is how does that even happen in this day and age when we've got you know, inch by inch, millimeter by millimeter, satellite spy satellite coverage of, of of the surface of the Earth. How do how do you how do you lose yeah in, you know an airliner? And sadly, you know, 239 people lost their lives. Yeah. To, and this is what's fascinating. This story has been it, to me. It's a lot like the UIP, the UAP disclosure and the House Oversight Committee's. This story is is out there, and and it just hasn't gotten coverage or it's not blipping enough on on the social sort of the social consciousness for whatever reason Mm -hmm. but Ashton Forbes is out there and he really is the the mouthpiece and been the the tip of the spear as you said for this investigation and him he's a citizen journalist and he and his entire community have been running down real evidence and evidence is leaked and he's gonna run us through what is happening and this is has potential to be the biggest whistleblow um, other than the existence of UAPs that we that we're gonna see in, in our lifetime. We, you know we know we got some of that JFK leak and people didn't really seem to care that we essentially said that you know there's essentially files in our government in a FOIA Act that said that the CIA and our, our other agencies were involved in the assassination of America. the American president. Mm. huge deal. And, and this you know this along with the disclosure we yeah. talked right about on the show with House oversight committees looking at the UAPs, UFOs this ties into that and so this is very blurry very, very. if you will so grateful that, that ashton forbes is going to spend some time with us today and, and break down what's been going on this has been um, a multi-year investigation for him a passion of his and they are very very close to breaking perhaps the biggest story of the century right? yeah
1: <laughs> If you love true crime and you love blurry creatures, welcome to your favorite episode of someone who has the same kind of passion to break down the data and the evidence, and it's trickling in. So hop in, you're kind of entering season two. We try to take you back to the backstory of season one and how he got into this, but kind of where we are up to speed with this mystery and what's going on. And maybe perhaps it's not as mysterious as we think. Maybe that the whys are the hardest parts of the story, but the, is this happening? And what do we actually know? I don't know, Luke. We're, we are now entering more of a Twilight Zone uh, yeah. type episode. I guess you could call it the Boeing Zone. <laughs> well played, my friend. Well played. Well played. All right, let's get uh, let's get Ashton on this one. And once again, if you want to sponsor the show, glorycreatures.com slash members, become a member. Can't say thanks to all the people, uh, enough to all the people who sponsor the show. Keep this happening. Here we are in the middle of the day working hard to give you the juice. So, yeah, drink it down. It always goes down (laughs) smooth. Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 disappeared on March 8th, 2014. For those who don't know, the Blurry Creatures listeners, uh, we have Ashton Forbes with us, who's a citizen journalist who's been kind of, like you said, the sort of the heading up this, this sort of investigation into this and MH370X. Most of the, the data is happening on YouTube and. Twitter, now X. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Blurry Creatures. Just to give you a little background on what we do. We we talk creatures. We talk all things Bigfoot to aliens and UFOs and all the weird blurry stuff in between. So our listeners are pretty open-minded. You can throw whatever you want at them. We hear some pretty wild stuff on our show. So welcome to the podcast. And maybe for people who don't know, maybe give a little, a little crash course, but you can you can hit us with the heavy, your theories, anything strange, out of the box. I mean, although we try to stay academic and and with the data, and you know, we have some pretty wild stuff on our show. So, and I w- I would
2: say too, Ashton. This I, I became familiar with your work. I was sitting around with some buddies here. We're we're in Tennessee, outside of Franklin, Tennessee. And one night, smoking cigars around a a uh, a fire, and one of one of my buddies is like, "You got to see this this on uh, on X. What's what, what's talking about MH 370 And you know, of course. There's been documentaries out and, and this was March 8th 2014 so we're almost you know we're we're, we're going to be come up on 10 years since this thing disappeared and if you're not familiar with this I don't know where you've been living if you're listening to this show but you sent me some of the in- initial stuff you were working on and it is it is wild there are and I'd love to have if you could as Nate said if you could sort of unpack just briefly I know you've done this a, a million times and so apologies but for people yeah. that on our that listen to our show that that know about the planet if you didn't everyone who was alive heard about you know, we have a commercial jetliner just disappeared, you know, no debris field, no oil slicks countries sent out multiple countries, sent out tons of search parties and found nothing. One of the great mysteries of, of our time. And perhaps maybe the one, the biggest conspiracies that of, of, of any out there based on some of the things that you've uncovered. So if you could, I would love just a, a recap of, of, of the things you found, because this does fit squarely into the places that we are, that we, you know, we go, Nate, they're advanced technology, advanced, air, uh, you know, aerospace technology, uh, portals, orbs. These things are things we've talked about in our yeah, audience. They're all there. With. <laughs> but this is wild because it connects with something this, with this huge international story, international mystery. You know and then you have sort of the government element as well. I know that one of the things you did Ashton was write an open letter to Congress about this sort of revealing the things you found. But I want to let you tell a little bit about about that and then and then of course you just started us out with the most recent stuff.
0: Yeah, so uh, and first of all I want to say that everything I've been revealing yeah. is public information. It's all out there. So that's what's kind of incredible about this case is that I, it's not like I I've, I've had uh, well other than potentially the the pictures and and the videos that we're trying to crack right now, but other than that everything else has been out there. It's not like I have any secret information or anything like that. I've told people that I'm a government contractor through my job, but that's mostly just to establish my credibility. Actually, it's entirely to establish my credibility. I don't have any secrets or anything like that. It's not even my industry that I work in. I work in healthcare. But I have been passionate, I guess you could say, about this case just because... I, you know, I knew even before we saw these videos that the United States government had to know more about what happened to this plane story. doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. We've got satellites everywhere. There's no way we wouldn't see a seven, seven, seven crashing into the ocean. We didn't, the official search literally finds no, nothing right. And you got people out there who are listening have to realize there's a difference between what the official, what the official uh, explanation is Mm -hmm. and what the narratives are quite different. okay. Official explanation is we don't know what happened to this plane. That's the official story. Official report also says that everybody has stood up for the pilot. They don't say it's pilot suicide. These are narratives that have been pushed out there. The fact that this plane crashed in the South Indian Ocean is a narrative that's out there. This is not some factual based thing. There's actually no facts that support this. And that's what the where things immediately start to break down when you look into this case is that you can't have a 777 crash into the ocean without leaving a debris field you can't have a thing where you say, we know where it crashed, but you can't find any black boxes, right? Black boxes should are d- sending out signals that signals travel through water very well. They should have been able to find these black boxes, assuming that these Immersat pings that came out months later are accurate. When you're trying to search for a plane that crashed in the ocean, you don't obfuscate what's happening with the search and where the plane went. You don't obfuscate radar data. You don't obfuscate satellite pings. These are types of things that if you're being mm-hmm. open and honest, you reveal instantly the next day, right? There might be people on boats somewhere that need to be rescued. You can't have a plane crash into the ocean without leaving an acoustic sound. We found recently with the Titan sub that the United States Navy has the SOSA system detecting acoustic signals probably everywhere out in the ocean, entire world. And they can pinpoint a tiny sub popping with extreme amounts of accuracy. They heard that sub pop. They let people talk about oxygen counters on CNN for five days they knew exactly what happened to this this sub. They knew exactly where all the pieces were and went picked it up within like two mm-hmm. days after that. They also there's other acoustic systems Western Australia and Diego Garcia had hydrophones. People looked in the Diego Garcia hydrophone data. There's no detections for a plane crashing. You know, there's no witnesses that saw a plane in that area in the South Indian Ocean despite the claim it crashing in the early morning hours. Uh, this idea that the ocean is really big is something as well that people who just like don't think critically come up with, the plane is supposedly ran out of fuel. There's nowhere else for the plane to actually go. It's not like a situation where this plane's going to some magical la-la land where no one's looking, right? And as part of this investigation, we've shown that not only are there satellites essentially everywhere, the United States government is mapping the entire world with infrared satellites, global persistent infrared surveillance wow. from Lockheed Martin. Just think about what those words mean. And you can watch them scan. If you just Google Sibber's space-based infrared system, It's literally one of the top two hits on the video. If you click over the videos tab in Google, you'll find the video that just shows them Hmm. scanning the whole world all the time. Like, how can you not see a 777 crashing into the ocean on the debris field? It's going to be like, if not tens of miles, maybe even hundreds of miles wide with the debris field. Planes aren't made of like heavy material. They're made of very light materials that float. Almost most of the parts should have floated. Bodies would have floated. Luggage is going to be floating. You know, the fact that the official most expensive search in history doesn't find one piece of debris above or below water should be some pretty big red flags for people. And they go, oh, well, a year and a half later, some debris washed up and we've tied it to the plane. So that case closed the tiny amounts of debris. There's like three pieces connected to the plane. They don't Mm -hmm. even use a unique serial number for it. The one flapper on, they find this flapper on, they take a picture of it that makes it look really huge from like an angle, just like an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. And then they go, Oh, well, we tied it to a serial number. And so if you just Google this, you find out that they didn't use a unique serial number. They used a part number, the unique serial plate that's supposed to be on this flapper on it's bolted in. is just mysteriously missing. Like, come on guys, let's, let's use our critical thinking skills here. And this doesn't mean that that's not from MH370. It just means it's not as conclusive as people have made it out to be where, You know, this means it's been crashed into the ocean. If you add up to three pieces of debris, it's far less than even 1% of the plane. You know, we should have found a huge debris field. We should have found this plane somewhere. This plane didn't just sink into the ocean and fully intact. There's no chance of that. Part of this investigation we've shown as well that even on a controlled descent, the moment the wing hits the water in the ocean, this thing's going to rip apart and start and just tumble and just crash. Like, this is not a Sully Sullenberger situation. Even mm, that right. was a miracle. And that's the Hudson River, which is much less. The, the waves are much more calm there. And we have very shallow, like kind of shallow sides where you can get to the side right. of the banks much easier than the middle of the ocean. So and just I'm going to say one more thing about the pilot suicide narrative. The FBI uses some or simulator plot points to try to say that this was a suicide route. This is also completely bogus. The route they use is actually just the real MH150 route to Jeddah that the guy was actually scheduled to fly on February 4th, 2014. And the plot points were from one or two days earlier. He was literally just practicing his route to Jeddah. And then they say, oh, well, we also found uh, diversion points. Like, how do, have they even tied these diversion points to that route? Like, they're just taking disparate data and trying to tie it together and then claim that, oh, well, this this matches this route. Not to mention that the route to Jeddah goes from Kuala Lumpur. It doesn't even account for flying over to the South China Sea, then back across the country, and then going to the Andaman Sea. Like the whole thing just seems like a giant fabrication to try to vilify this pilot and come up with a, a story that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, and I obviously I've done a lot of video editing in in the past, and I do a lot of video editing for the podcast. And the most conv- convincing piece, once we go to the video stuff, is, is how wild those videos are. And, you know, you, you see, I mean, I'm sure you're going to get into it, but you know, I, I'm glad you kind of lay out because there's so many skeptics in these in these fields. Every time we talk about anything on our show, we have the the army of skeptics come. Every time we post a video, whether it's about Sasquatch or whatever, you know, I, I understand, and we don't post a lot of things because we don't know, and we're living this age of AI and everything's fake. But these videos are are, are incredible, and I love your analysis on YouTube specifically, where you kind of break it down. You break down how you have multiple cameras you have heat signatures, you have all the things that you can, and you, and you spend a lot of time debunking the haters. And I know when you, when you're working with places like Twitter and Reddit, you just have this army of people who, who almost think that, you know, there's no, there's no research, there's no effort, there's no time putting in, into anything that you post. And it gets a little frustrating. It gets it, it can wear you down. I can, I can imagine you want to just throw in the just throw it away sometimes like, and these people are nuts, <laughs> like just leave me alone. And you have to kind of block people and you kind of move on. Like, hey, look, either you're on, are you're on the train yeah. or not? I have established my credibility and we're moving forward. But can you talk a little about the videos? Because I think th- those are, What most people in our channel, they just want to see the video. What's the video? Show me the video. You know, I want to see it. I want to hear it.
0: Yeah, I think I want to address what you said first about Reddit and and my approach as well. And I think you nailed it, which is like, you're either on the train or you're not, right? Like A lot of people seem to get just irrationally upset about being blocked as if this is some, (laughs) like, you know, if I've done the worst thing in the world to them, right? It's like, I have done nothing but just told you that you're not part of my community. Like, that's the only thing I've done when I block people. And I think that's very telling that how upset people get at this idea, right? Where people feel so entitled to use your community for their efforts, right? And it kind of betrays their intentions, is that what they're trying to do is sway opinion. They're not trying to solve anything or be productive or anything like that. And the people that I block, they're people who just make condescending, rude comments all the time. I was saying in the space yesterday, the number of people that have actually posted what they got blocked for is literally zero. Not one person has ever posted with it because the answer is 99.9% of them are being jackasses, right? And they know that they are and they're not even holding themselves to the same standard. A lot of these people too block me for some people block me just to post in my replies so that I can't see their replies when they post because they want to be rude and stuff. So yeah, a lot of it's just very dishonest. And again, I'm just trying to build a community that's better than what mm-hmm. the Internet has become, which I find disgusting and just as I want to say as well, that I think Reddit is probably the worst social media out there. I prefer 4chan before I would go to Reddit. I think that it's got the worst people on the planet that are there that hide behind an- anonymity. And I think that Reddit is the biggest source of misinformation on the planet right now. And probably the number one radicalizer of terrorists on the planet right now, just because of the way that it causes this hive mind think, where people are more concerned about how you make them feel than the truth. This is how you radicalize terrorists, and I think that as time goes on, it's a very dangerous place. I honestly believe Reddit should be shut down. That's how scary I think it's honestly become, and I think it'll yeah. only get worse. Um, but that being said, I tweeted like a
1: couple months yeah. ago. Reddit's a psyop, and uh, now now I think we I think the tweet was accurate. Isn't it bought by China anyway? From what I heard,
0: yeah. I'm not really sure. But I mean, I, I don't, and I wouldn't judge based on who owns no. it so much as what you yeah, see from yeah, the content, yeah. right? I think that you can see the radicalization that's out there on pretty much every forum now, the way that anyone who goes against the grain is censored and deleted and banned, which is ironic considering the people who argue about getting blocked. Like, getting blocked by one individual is a complete different situation than being completely banned off the platform, right? And I think a lot of people would, you know, agree and nod their heads that, yeah, you know, people are being banned from this platform. In fact, our whole subreddit got banned from Reddit because I made a subreddit that was called literally MH370X, which is, I think, an appropriate name for what we're trying to do. And without any explanation or warning, we just got completely banned and before breaking the moderator rules, which doesn't make any sense because there's literally subreddits to just ban people for making comments on certain other subreddits. Right. And somehow those subreddits don't get banned, Um, especially during COVID. It was a huge thing.
1: We kind of learned from Elon Musk a little bit about the, how Twitter was kind of operating in a similar way a yes. couple of years ago, you know? And so we know that like, I think these websites start out innocent, some tech guys create it, and information starts flowing and then they get bought purchase, whether they get bought by, you know, three letter agencies and then they get controlled. And I think, you know, for a while there, you know, Twitter was in the same, in the same space. And I think Elon's trying to get it back to just, Hey, we, we, we offer everything here. But that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But I think that we deal with a lot of it in our channels, you know, all the time. And it wears you down.
2: Ashton, and to kind of get back to what we were talking about, I think you made a really interesting point that, that, I, that I hadn't thought of. And that, and that is Titan mini sub, right? I, I think those two things are, can be very closely related when we talk about MH370, because what you realize with that is, is how long, how the government knew, the US government knew this thing popped and how long they sat on that. And the only difference here is that we knew you had you knew exactly where this thing was. It was maybe the Titanic. You couldn't really disappear this thing in the same way maybe the MS three seventy was disappeared. Mm-hmm. But you realize that they that they let this narrative roll on. Oh, they're banging on it, and you know you can hear the the pinging and and the the oxygen. <laughs> they being being the powers that be the control the control the, that have the information number one as far as as, as the government uh, technology, but two also having the sort of the megaphone let this thing ramp up and roll on its own when they already knew the outcome and and I think it's fascinating because there's a real world one we know how it ended and we know they knew and you're working and you're and you're you' part of this community and, and really sort of the vocal part of this community to solve this mh 370 mystery. And, at, at, and what I, I liked how you started this because you started going through the narratives, right? Like I, I watched the doc that, that's mm-hmm. out there and the same guy finds all the the pieces of the plane and you're like, what are the odds of that? Number one, right? And, and then two, as you said, I, I like you point out that they're just part numbers. These parts exist on all 777s. Like they're not uniquely tied necessarily without a unique serial number to this actual aircraft. And
0: mm-hmm.
2: that is scary. And I think all this is scary because... We don't really have anything and so as nate said i would love you to jump into the to the videos because i think it's fascinating too and this is what i think is really interesting is this is all public and and to me this kind of feels like the uap thing as well where Mm -hmm. all this stuff is accessible and public and yet for whatever reason people don't seem to care and in fact they seem to care more about posturing and, and on on reddit and on the other social media things and sort of fighting over you know these these narratives and also and also entitlement sort of situations they do actually get into the truth, which is really a sad statement about our the current status oh, nice. of our society and civilization, if you will. But I digress. Again, people haven't seen this. Again, you know, ju- mm-hmm. just uh, check out what Ashton has on on X because there are multiple threads, and also on YouTube where he breaks it down. But but for our listeners that aren't familiar with your work, um, talk about this because this falls into the realm of like wild tech that that we talk about. On our show, when we get to sort of uh, you know, yeah, advanced aerospace technology that, that is either being recovered, reverse engineered, it's amazing and terrifying at the same time.
0: Yeah, my last comment on the on the red stuff is that like again, it's it, for a lot of those people, it's about how you make them feel, not about yes. the facts, yeah. right? It's just feelings over facts. And I mean I, I think that that's why we have all this uh, emotion based conversation as opposed to factual based conversation. If you were to go into the spaces that I've been in about UAPs, um, like so much of it is just middle school drama stuff. No one's even talking about what's going on. Right. And that's sad. I think there's a lot of good people that are out there, but there's a lot of people that are not. And then with the SOSA system thing, that's a really good point because that was a huge clue of uh, in terms of how they would act about a situation where they knew information and then they didn't reveal it and just let the media go and lie like it. It gave it it kind of gave the game away a little bit. So one thing I want to do is I'm going to read part of my letter to Congress. I won't read all of it. It's like four or five pages long. And this is as much as I could shorten it that's out there, but I will abbreviate and read parts of it. Also, what I would ask, I don't know if you can pull stuff up, but one thing you might want to pull up is go to my YouTube page, uh, which is also just at JustXAshton. There's a satellite explainer video because your side can have sound. We could play that. It's only two minutes long. It actually explains the satellite video pretty well and shows a lot of the evidence. If you want to pull that up while I'm reading this. So uh, I want to keep in mind, my letter to Congress, I wrote this October 21st. So this is almost two months outdated at this point. Investigations proceeded pretty far, but still very relevant, which I think goes to show the weight of the evidence. So I said, Dear Congress, my name is Ashton Forbes. I'm currently disclosing the most important videos in the history of the world. All the information is publicly available. I would like to state that I have a top secret U.S. government clearance as part of my job as a contractor. My job has nothing to do with advanced technology. I'm just stating this to establish my credibility. I'm not bound by an NDA. This is not a hoax, disinformation, or misinformation. You don't need to believe me because everything is verifiable. I am requesting a public hearing. I'm willing to testify in front of Congress as to the authenticity of the videos and explain every single aspect of them. I would invite physics experts to validate the science on display. The videos in question are that of the true fate of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 on March 7th, 2014 at 1840 UTC in the Nicobar Islands. One is of an MQ-1C Grey Eagle with a thermal layer added by the leaker. And right now we actually think that there might be some chance it's an MQ-9, which is a very similar variant of that same type of drone. And then the other is a 3D battlefield space produced by Sibbers space-based infrared system via SIGINT, signals intelligence, using data from spy satellite USA-229, which has a sister satellite next to it classified as debris. This allows for the proven 3D stereoscopic imagery we see in the satellite video. The oldest archived versions of the video we could find come from Regicide Anon, a UFO video uploader who uploaded unrelated videos previously, indicating that they are not the source. Higher quality versions were released on other UFO uploaders on YouTube later on, indicating that neither is the source. The dates are damning. The satellite video, it says received March 12th, 2014. It says uploaded May 19th, 2014. So this is either just four days after or 72 days after the event. Our recent leak that has been going on right now shows that these videos might be as old as just one or two days after the the incident. The MQ1C Gray Eagle video says received June 5th, 2014, uploaded June 13th, 2014. So why now, many ask? Because only in 2023 do we have the basis to understand the videos to be real. We needed the 2017 DOD Navy UAP videos to understand what FLIR footage looks like, forward-looking infrared. The 2019 Trump satellite picture to show, to understand these capabilities. The 2020... Plus, scientific papers that show wormholes are humanly traversable. LK99 shows that the emergence of superconductivity is about to happen, as well as, finally, we need to understand AI in general use, such as chat GPT. Without all these things, the MH370 videos seem like magic. So we know the location of the videos because the investigative group I started, MH370X, satellite experts used amateur historical trajectories to identify the correct satellite in the correct position to take the 3D stereoscopic imagery we see. We can see six sets of coordinates in the satellite video, which we have we incorrectly thought were in the South Indian Ocean until we realized that the only possible location was the Nicobar Islands because the plane is turning left in both videos and due to the coordinate shifts. This means that the plane is turning south into the east. The satellite and the witness, Catherine T, indicate the time is 1840 UTC, March 7th, 2014. So that's kind of the intro into that. And if you want to play that satellite video that you were about to pull up, I have only done about two different explainers. One of them is the satellite video explainer, which goes through a lot of this evidence very quickly in under two minutes, as well as a flight flight path explainer. And actually, you can play both of them if you want. And that might just save me a little bit of breath.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is the first time I've ever tried this, so I had to... I had to rip it off YouTube real quick, but uh, here's this one. And then I I think I found the right one.
0: Hello everyone, this is Ashton Forbes here to bring you the MH370X satellite video explainer. Our organization was able to recreate the satellite position using amateur trajectories available on the internet. USA229 was in the correct position at the Nicobar Islands around 1840 UTC, capable of taking 3D stereoscopic footage with its pair of satellites. USA 229 is a pair of SIGINT, Signals Intelligence Satellites, launched in 2011, the same year as USA 224, which took the Trump satellite picture he posted on Twitter in 2019. The SIGINT system connects assets via an interconnected network of shared data. If you Google SIGINT payload, the top link references the MQ-1C Gray Eagle, the asset in our drone video. In the Day 5 press conference, the Malaysian Minister of Defense has asked, there are U.S. spy satellites over the regions. Are we in touch with them? To which he responds, yes, yes. There are U.S. spy satellites over the regions. Are we in touch with them? Yes, we are in touch. SIBRS is a space-based infrared system, which conducts global persistent infrared surveillance. Officials at the 460th Space Wing also confirmed SIBRS provided technical data to the intelligence community to help solve the mystery of MH370. The coordinates in the bottom left of the satellite video indicate the location to be near the Nicobar Islands. The satellite designation in the video says NRL 22, not NRL 33, as claimed in the False Newsweek and France 24 debunks. NRL 22 is presumed to be the command satellite. It was sent into space in 2006 at the start of the service program. The Regisada side-by-side videos have been proven to be stereoscopic with clear parallax. We have even been able to convert them to actual 3D. In the satellite video, the MQ-1C Grey Eagle drone is cropped out of view at the top of the screen. The mouse we see is moving at 24 frames per second, but the background is 6 frames per second, indicating a Citrix session logged into the actual spy satellite database. The mouse moving off the screen in multiple directions, and 6 frames per second background, is evidence of a large field of view on a computer-generated battlefield map. The second orb appears to come from the water and shoot up through the clouds. Unlike the Trump satellite image, the MH370 satellite video does not show any shadows, meaning this video is likely shot at nighttime using a false color IR. The orbs form an equilateral triangle, consistent with a 120-degree zero-point sinusoidal pattern. The pattern changes orientations about halfway through the sequence and becomes vertical, showing purpose. The zap we see accurately illuminates the detailed volumetric cumulus clouds in both the foreground and the background
1: it's wild it's wild for those you know audio listeners i mean basically you know you can see these three orbs kind of come up they do a triangle thing and then they kind of go vertical and then all of a sudden there's this flash of light the plane's gone and in the video you say you can see this around and uh the frames per second change versus the mouse and you know the plane itself and you can also see the trail off the back of the plane so there's there's so many things here going on i I'd love to talk about it. it. It kind of reminds me of when everyone got into like making a murderer. You know that on yeah. Netflix. If you watch that, like you're kind of you're knee deep in the data and you're waiting for any new information to trickle out. When you get obsessed about something, I got really into that show. You kind of seen <laughs> all all, but you were like, you know, all the data that came out, and you yeah. were following it forever. And it was this crazy injustice, and you feel this pull to like to like educate the public of like, dude, this, this guy. And and there's a lot of similar themes when people are trying to cover up stuff. There's this weird false evidence that's being planted into the story and anyone, and also the serial podcast got big and there's a bunch of these things. People love true crime, but you see these similar narratives where there's so many like weird out of place, uh, evidence trails that get, put into this but i mean these are some an, a crazy crazy videos and i've seen them and it's great to hear you break them down because a lot of the stuff gets sent to us and i sit on it for a while like i don't i don't know should we post this should we not post this i'd love to hear more about it but mm-hmm. these are th- these look like three orbs that send this plane from our world to somewhere else or some other dimension or it, it, it's bananas i've never seen anything like this Yeah, and I think
0: the approach that I've taken is similar to those shows that you mentioned, true crime shows, where I I look at myself as an investigator. That's why I chose that terminology is for that exact reason, I look at this like criminal case. And in a criminal case, you have a lot of evidence. You don't know what evidence is accurate, the different levels of credibility for different evidence, and what you're doing is you're building a story, right? And you're looking for what's the story that makes sense. And that's why I I knew it was very important that I be transparent from the beginning to now so that people can follow how the case and how the story has progressed in terms of how the evidence has unfolded. Because like you mentioned, evidence keeps coming in, right? And this story is constantly changing. People watch my confessionals podcast with Tony Merkel. I want to give him a shout out because he was one of the fr- he was the first person to have me in, and, and he was, was so respectful. Just let me kind of say everything. Tony's a good friend of ours, is he? Yeah, yeah he I mean, is. Tell yeah. him I say hi. Yeah. Uh, I love that guy. And you know, and, and that was a good one. But you can tell that I didn't have the same perspective I did then than I do now. Back then, I wasn't sure is this some type of espionage event where we're preventing these free engineers from getting to China and trying to steal them, or was this some kind of anomalous UFO event? And then it wasn't until later that we realized, well, these UFOs or these orbs we see are traveling at nearly Mach 3 speed. So this plane's not outrunning them. No chance. Right. right. And w- then at early on, I thought, well, maybe these orbs are interfering with the plane when it went dark. But now we've pretty much ruled that out again for similar reasons, that there's no way this plane could outrun them. and We would have had this emergency event happening in the South China Sea, not in the Nicobar Islands, if that was the case. And we were able to figure out from this witness, who's actually like right below the plane somewhere in the water there, this plane was glowing orange. And this was a huge clue. I kept Mm -hmm. wondering like, how could these orbs make this plane glow orange? It was simpler than that. There's a fire on board the plane. The fire is causing bromine, a halogen gas, to have come out from a chemical reaction with the halon fire extinguishing devices. They're battling the lithium ion battery fire, which is the most, by far in my opinion, most plausible cause for this emergency event. Almost five hundred pounds of lithium ion batteries in the cargo bay. Hmm. These are extremely dangerous events. The dangerous runaway lithium ion battery fires. These can't be put out easily. So even in a small, tiny battery when these happen in the up like in the passenger area, there's a certain like protocol where they have this special bag and they throw it in there, you just dump water on it and you try to get them out. They happen over once per week still in the United States on domestic flights. Wow. That's just how often they're happening. In 2015, the FAA outlawed lithium-ion batteries in the cargo bay of passenger planes because of how dangerous they were, because so many planes had, were burning up because of them. So you've got this plane that's just ready to light up. Also, it was about 100 degrees that night. So if these batteries were too close to the landing gear, which heat up when they take off, you know they could have start, initiated this runaway lithium-ion battery fire. And then from that point, you've got all your crew desperately battling this just horrible situation where you're just praying that the fire doesn't break free from the cargo bays, which they are built to withstand fires. But if it you know breaks free at all, your plane's not going to last very long. Right. Um, and you could play if you want. There's another one called the, the flight path explainer. I think this one's very important because a lot of people that listen that don't know the background were probably like me. Didn't really know what, where'd this plane go? When it went dark, what happened? Is that when it crashed? Is that when it, you know, d- disappeared? Like, people don't realize this plane still flew afterwards and it flew for up to an hour and 20 minutes. Now it didn't fly for eight hours. Like the official narratives are saying, that's really makes no sense whatsoever. Um, even in a suicide pilot scenario, like you're going to crash the plane right away. I don't know if people realize this, right. but I looked it up. The German wings guy, 2015 crashes the plane into a mountain. He did that at less than 10 minutes after he locked out the co-pilot. This is not a situation where you go on some long flight or, you know, like, and you know, try to knock people out like when you cra- when you are in a suicide situation you crash the plane right away mm. even 911 those planes are not flying for hours they're hijacking them and they're crashing them immediately and the people that fought back UA93 right those heroes that forced the plane to crash in i think it was Pennsylvania yeah. you know they found a way to get into the cabin now granted the cabin doors were changed i believe the rules were changed in 2001 after that this plane was produced in 2002 so They've said this plane had the stronger doors, but I'm pretty skeptical of that claim because that would be quite a big turnaround, fast turnaround in order to get those new doors put in. And it's Malaysian Airlines, which just to be honest with everybody, Malaysia is a third world country. I mean, I I love Malaysia because I lived in Singapore and I I know the people there and I feel for them, but it's uh, not exactly up to date on all safety regulations.
1: I got that uh, flight path explainer.
0: Yeah. Let's watch this. Hello everybody, this is Ashton Forbes, here to bring you the MH370X Flight Path Explainer. The plane takes off at 1642 UTC from Kuala Lumpur, headed to Beijing. At 1719 UTC, the pilot says good night Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. Around 1721 UTC, a lithium ion battery fire explosion occurs and is seen by Mike McKay on an oil rig 300 miles away. He sees fire for 5-10 seconds. Nine witnesses along the coast hear loud noises at the same time. The plane goes dark. In the case of a fire, the first response is to pull the main buses and restore the circuits one by one until you have isolated the bad one. If they pulled the buses, the plane would go silent. The plane heads towards Penang, Lankawi International Airport. The pilot knew the train was friendlier towards Lankawi, which was also closer than Kuala Lumpur. At 1730 UTC, there's a communication with another pilot who hears the voice of one of the pilots of MH370. At the same time, eight fishermen on a boat 10 miles off the coast see the plane flying unusually low, consistent with a depressurization emergency event attempting to provide oxygen for the passengers. The Malaysian Minister of Defense claims the plane was not identified, but admits they knew it was a non-hostile civilian airliner. The plane flies over Lankawi at 1752 UTC when the co-pilot's cell phone pings a cell tower. The plane doesn't land either due to the fire or because they have communicated a rendezvous point. The plane continues to the nicobar islands until around 1840 utc when a witness kt sees a glowing orange plane with dark smoke coming out of it this is consistent with the crew battling the lithium battery fire with halon fire suppression devices releasing bromine a halogen gas soon after the videos begin they show smoke coming out of the back of the plane consistent with the fire the plane is descending in the videos consistent with an intercepted chinese only reported communication that claims the plane was attempting an emergency landing and disintegrating. The plane's altitude is low in the videos as proven by the cumulus clouds that only form between 1,000 and 5,000 feet, also consistent with the witnesses' sighting. So the rest of it's silent here. And if so, for audio listeners, this is as well, we're seeing both videos perfectly in sync. We can see the orbs in both videos spinning around the plane. And then in the thermal, we see this endothermic event, which is this dark cold event that's happening here. So this has been explained to me now by engineers and physicists that I've been interviewing and talking to that uh, we're seeing a phase state change, transitional phase state change of the plane. So we're not seeing a black hole here. Black hole would be sucking everything in. Mm-hmm. It's not an explosion. We would see parts flying. We would see the clouds blasting away. And this is not stealth because we see the smoke trail stop behind the plane as well when the plane disappears. So as hard as this is to believe, the most logical explanation is that this is some type of if you want to think of it as quantum teleportation, you can, but it's a macroscopic event. So macroscopic phase conjugation is how it's been explained. Think of like a rubber band that's being stretched out and then you let go of it. And now it's going to slingshot back, but it's going to do so at superluminal speeds, potentially faster than the speed of light. Uh, the way the engineers have described it to me is that there could be a fourth orb. People actually have been now started calling me Ashton four orbs, uh, which I think is actually pretty funny play on words. The idea is that there's a fourth orb entangled to the previous three orbs that we see, and that when we see this, it's one uh, pr- one engineer named Dave Rossi actually explained it like like hitting some jello and watching the jello kind of you know bounce back into its original location, which in my mind feels like the when I look at the videos and all the evidence, it feels like the most proper explanation. If you talk to theoretical physicists, then they would say that you're seeing this transitional phase state change where the properties of this macroscale object obtain the properties of a quantum object and that the properties would denote the behavior. So once you've had this phase state change happen, then both ways are done the same way, which is freeing the electrons from the atoms of the plane itself and allowing them to, once they become free, they will actually self-organize under the right conditions and create a matter wave. And so that you take this plane and you basically turn it into an atom in of of itself. And once it obtains the properties of quantum, now it has the behaviors of quantum. Now you can have mass reduction once your mass becomes zero, now you can accelerate to the speed of lights, potentially even beyond the speed of light. And this is what we know from the double slit experiment from non-locality, quantum entanglement and quantum teleportation, which has been proven uh, many times over at this point. The, what this all requires is a unification theory of quantum and macro. Why, you know, People have always wondered, why does quantum objects act differently? Why do we see the double slit experiment where we have this wave function breakdown when we look at it? Versus, we don't see that on the macro scale. Perhaps it's just a matter of us not understanding how they unify together.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, like it's wild. that. There's this fire that's kind of going along, and then this UFO event. And we know kind of historically how you know there's no uh, crisis that's wasted, right? So, do you believe that the that they were trying to? Perhaps start a fire on this plane so they can do some other experiment on it, you know, like create some, and then they have a narrative. Oh, well, it just caught on fire and, and went down. Or are these UFOs saving this flight? I and mean, let's go the opposite direction. Are they, was this just a random fire that broke out and these UFOs are trying to, Protect because I mean, we've heard this on our show. I we've we, you know, there's a famous story about this guy, Gary Stearman, has a big uh, uh, he's a part of a big co host of the show where he was going down in a plane, World War II, and a UFO came to him, help him land his plane. So it's not, you know, that we've heard both sides. What do you think? Like,
0: yeah, I I think that even adds more credibility when I hear you say that because you've had the same exact thought process that I've had, right? And now, but you may not know all the evidence that we've dug into, and that's why I would say that. Those are both uh, valid theories and narratives. To me, it's a matter of, okay, is this an espionage event where we started this fire intentionally to set this up later on? The problem I have with that is it seems too complicated. If we're going to go through that effort, I would just teleport the plane in the South China Sea. I wouldn't start this fire up. But if the batteries are, some for some reason, a catalyst uh, to that event, then maybe. But just the whole fire scenario in general, once we came to that conclusion from, you know, the glowing orange plane from the witness, and then we find out that there's 18 other witnesses that also corroborate the same event, including Mike McKay, who sees the plane on fire when it goes dark, eight fishermen on a boat who see the plane flying low right after because it's probably been depressurized and the uh, captain's trying to, you know, give them enough oxygen. To me, then this presents a scenario of saving the plane, right? That's now the most likely motive here. And then it's a quite, but you could still argue okay, if this is an espionage event, they're trying to prevent these engineers from getting into China. If it's a saving them event, you could say they're trying to save this plane. If you believe in benevolent non human intelligence, you could argue that they are trying to save this plane as well. I personally think that we can't really attribute human motivations to a non human intelligence. My opinion is if there is non-human intelligence out there, which I haven't perfectly, you know, I haven't seen proof of, but I I do believe David Grush, the whistleblower who spoke to Congress that I I think they wouldn't care about us. My opinion is that they would treat us like we treat ants, right? I don't go around there trying to save every ant that's in trouble. Though I do care about animals a lot. Uh, So, this, you know, to me, that the most likely explanation is some type of human motivation related to this. And then a couple other thinari- scenarios could be that, well, if this plane is doomed because it can't land at Penang for whatever reason, one thing I didn't mention in that explainer is that we now hypothesize as well that maybe the landing gear or the runway lights were off because it's two a.m. in a third world country and the airport is technically closed for that night. They might have turned the, la- the runway lights off, so it may not even been able to safely land at the airport there they might've been desperately trying to get in touch with them going, Hey, turn the runway lights on, turn the runway lights on. Yeah. And then uh, if you try to land in the water again, this is going to rip apart. It's 2am. There's no moon. There's like no light whatsoever. So it's going to be a disaster no matter what happens in this situation. This pilot would have been trying to look for the least, the worst, the best way for these people to die. Pretty much, you know, I don't want to put it uh, horribly, but that's the reality. And mm-hmm. also some of them might not have even been alive at that point due to the toxic fumes coming mm-hmm. from the, the, the fire, the, due to the depressurization event where these masks, uh, only oxygen masks only last between 15 and 25 minutes. And I never trusted oxygen masks at all to begin with. I'm actually afraid of flying. Yeah. So I want to just go ahead and express my condolences right now to the families of the victims who I can't imagine what they've been through. Mm-hmm. And they've been getting lied to as well, just on, on top of it all. But the other scenario too could be like, so they're trying to test this on this doomed plane, right? You, if if yeah. it's not proven technology, we might be trying to test it. The scenario I like the most now, though, is one that we've just come up with is what if there's just one person who's important enough to call in their rescue me button, right? They've got the you got to save me button. They know the plane is effed. And they're like, hey, you know, maybe it's one of these engineers. Maybe it's even Philip Wood, the IBM executive. I, I don't know.
1: Chuck and Norris like, is on that flight. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe it's
0: like Chuck Norris. We'll call it the Chuck <laughs> Norris scenario, right? right. Um, or the exactly. Oprah Winfrey scenario. Right. Somebody who's connected enough that you know, they get pulled in. So because, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened. A lot of people ask me, so where's the plane? What happened to the passengers? Yeah. like, guys, I'm not psychic. I, I don't know. I, I can just tell you what I'm seeing on these videos that we can explain that is for some reason matches the true events of the plane better than any story to date. But I can't tell you guys stuff that I don't know. Um, mm. What I can say is there was a B777 fire suppression device that washes up in the Maldives a couple of weeks later. The Maldives gets intentionally excluded from the search. The Malaysian Minister of Defense was clearly a liar. Says, well, we're not going to look into that. We've ruled out this fire suppression device. You can see there's a serial number on the fire suppression device in the pictures. You guys can Google this right now, If people are listening. Just Google B777 fire suppression device MH370. You can look at the picture. You can see the serial number. This is not like some generic looking object. This thing is like 100% a fire suppression device from a B7777. Wow. Why would the Maldives get excluded from the search? Like, why would that even be a thing? They're literally right there in the Indian Ocean. Right. And there was even a sighting early in the morning that claimed to be at 6.15 a.m. by like, I think a half a dozen or more islanders who see this jumbo jet flying so low. And clearly they can make out the windows and they can make out the red and white stripe of Malaysian airlines. I read Florence O'Change's book, who I'm in contact with her. I highly respect her as an investigator. And the explanation is they think it's some other plane, but this other plane doesn't even have blue on it. And it's like less than half the size of 777. There's no way they mistook this other plane that was supposedly like in a similar area for MH370 flying so low that again, trying to give the passengers enough oxygen to breathe. This would indicate that the plane didn't necessarily go to another dimension, didn't necessarily go to planet Xenu or wherever else, but <laughs> potentially was just transported somewhere else on earth and that you know people saw it and, and what have you. Now, y- there is a time, di- time dilation is real. I don't know. I guess a lot of people don't realize this, And I didn't realize this before I saw the movie Interstellar and it started to blow my mind. But the time is a fluid symmetry, meaning think of space time as like a fabric and it can be bent and it can be warped. And the reason why it's called space time is space and time are one and the same. And what this means is time will flow differently depending on where you are. So the reason why we experience time flowing the same is because we're all on planet Earth, which has a very similar amount of mass depending no matter where you are. It's a sphere, right? If you were even to go into outer space, your time is actually gonna go faster than people that are near the the surface of the earth. It's a very minuscule difference, but there is a difference. When you start to experience this more is when you go near very, very, very large amounts of mass, say like a black hole. When you start to go near a black hole, your time is gonna slow down a ton. Compared to somebody who's very far away from all mass, their time is gonna move much faster. So what this means is the more mass, the slower your time is the less mass, the faster your time is. The faster your time is, the faster your speed is theoretically. So think of like why, uh, a question would be why do ants and flies move so quickly, right, despite the fact that they're so small, if you were to scale them up, they would be going at super speed, right? But the answer is the less mass, the faster your time is, therefore the faster something can theoretically move. Now this also then applies to our plane. If we can reduce the mass of the plane, now we can have the plane achieve superluminal speeds. So this could be your theoretical unification of quantum and macro. It's not that different things act differently based on size. Size is, does not matter. What matters is the properties of the object.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Like my question is like why this plane, right? We if we have plane crashes, these aren't these aren't all the time events, but the idea there's intervention here, what 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 appears to be intervention at the least, is the interesting part and Mm -hmm. you know you've broken down some of the motives that there's you know 20 scientists from the same company that work on i believe superconductors or semiconductors the vip is is very interesting but it it kind of begs the question that you know of of the why and it it feels a lot more at least for me you talk about feeling earlier but it feels a lot more like it was you know more human intervention than than um you know the non-human and that's that's really, that's really fascinating. And, and Nate, you made a good point. Like We've got stories about sort of benevolent interactions with UFOs and and and, and people flying. But the big why is like, why this plane? And, and then, of course, where does it go, right? Is the other thing is if you speed it up, where does it end up at? And if this is a VIP in that scenario, who's sort of pushing the, uh, you know, calling the red phone, using their get out of jail free card, you know, what happens to everybody? What happens to everybody else? Like, you
0: know, that's the, like, where's everybody? Where are all these people? Yeah, and they're filming before these orbs even show up as well. But, you know, either they got extremely lucky and were like, hey, let's have our drone and our SIGINT system. And potentially there's AWACS in the area controlling these. that are looking down as well. We just uh, have our satellites stare at it, right? Either they got extremely lucky and caught this event, this anomalous event happened, or this was an operation. Mm. The strongest evidence to me is looking at the drone video. Because when you look at the drone video, the operator zooms in. And it's like they're trying to collect as much intelligence as they can about this event, and then they zoom out right before this endothermic event like happens. it's like they know it's, like they know it's about yeah. to happen. Yep. And both videos, like the satellite one, clearly looks like it was recorded after the fact, and they like close out the window when they're doing the screen recording, like right afterwards. So we can't tell much about the intention there. Mm-hmm. But from the drone video, that one must have done in real time, right? And after they zoom out, it's like they just like okay, it's time to go eat lunch now. It's like if I'm you know, after that thing happens, if I have no idea what's going on, I am going to be freaking out. Yeah. Like I would be actually freaking out watching that in real time. So that's yeah. the part where it's like, why are they not like flying the drone around, looking around it's everywhere for thinking like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's an operation in yeah. my mind. Right. And that's why early on for the first week, I thought, OK, this must be non-human intelligence because I was freaking out looking at it, going this technology, whatever we're seeing here, if this is real, is like a thousand years more advanced than we are at right now. And then as I started digging into that evidence, looking at it more uh, with more critical eye, that's when I'm like, wait a minute, this is an operation, this is our technology. And now I'm looking at Lockheed Martin going, hey, Lockheed Martin, time to fess up, man. What kind of orb tech are you you rolling with here? And now I'm realizing it's not a thousand years more advanced. I mean, you could argue that it is, but it's maybe just 50 or a hundred years more advanced than where we're at from the public perspective. And now it starts to get scary into the conspiracy side, Right. right, where it's like, Is there really a group of elites that know about this technology that's out there that's keeping it from the public for either personal reasons or the other reason would be that it's going to break people's minds? Right. Um, And then the last reason would be that it's for national defense because this technology you just this is breakaway civilization level technology. Like you control the planet with this level of technology. Well, you can disappear a
2: 777 and you can, you can operate it at speeds that would turn, you know, a human into applesauce as far as how fast those, that's the thing you get in these mock speeds. It's like the Tic Tac videos from the Nimitz, right? You can't move like that. Mm -hmm. If there's a human at the, unless you're essentially distorting gravity or doing something that, that doesn't allow the, the g-forces to be applied to a human body that, that's the crazy those are the crazy things that are happening because you, you're right you go this is breakaway civilization because if you have this you know you, you, you can't compete with convention conventional no. sort of military weapons and 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 the like it, it has become something completely different
0: and real quick those orbs we see there we're seeing the non-radiating barrier there we are not seeing a metal sphere there we're seeing uh, the bubble that's been created around them And that is why they're able to move that they are, even without somebody in there, that object would be getting ripped apart by the friction of uh, uh, air, right? right? Because it's moving at like 2000 miles an hour. And yet it's not, it's completely ignoring gravity as well. We see it doesn't fall to the ground at all. And the reason is because once you have displaced this whole entire object in this non-radiating barrier, now its mass is reduced to zero. Once the mass is reduced to zero, it's just floating freely, just like a bubble would be, but a bubble in space and time itself. And this is how it can go between the water and the air and potentially space as well with having no friction whatsoever, no resistance.
2: So you a lot like the UAP stuff, come out of the ocean, and come out of the intermedium, medium if you will.
1: Well, a lot of people who've been on our show have described that's what happens when they feel like they've had a, an abduction episode. Their car, they're driving in a car and it just feels like everything just pauses. It's like the car's moving, but it's not operating. You know, and then they have like time loss and they don't understand what's going on. Why do you think the orbs change? Why do you think they go from one, one, you know, rotation to a different, like, are they prepping the plane for it?
0: Yeah, my guess, looking at it is that they're scanning and mapping the plane to first at first, and that's why they're spinning around it. Because we've actually um, graphed that, and you can see first of all, there's like perfect wave pattern. That's why it's called a sinusoidal pattern, which is like okay, now that tells us they're not little people and they're flying that around. It's too perfect. It's got to be remote uh-huh. controlled or computer program or AI or something like that. And then it's also mapping in a sphere. It almost, if you look at it, it looks like the movie Contact when Jodie Foster is sitting in the, the sphere thing and starts spinning around. It yeah. actually looks a lot like that. A lot of people pointed that out. And this would indicate that their purpose is to map this plane. And then when it changes orientation, this is where it's getting ready to cause the singularity to happen for sure. A lot of people have argued you only need to be able to like open this portal, if you want to think of it like that, in two-dimensional space, um, which is a weird physics concept, which I I still haven't risen. I mean, I'm not a physicist, so trying to learn all the sciences has like definitely been the hardest part for me. But um, definitely the part where they converge on the plane if you look at the drone video in the last frame, first of all, they start to converge on the plane. And this is my in my mind where they're causing this singularity to happen. The same way if you were like jam magnets of opposite uh, polarity together, or the same polarity where they would repel, right? Where you then have this very strong force. It's almost like they're doing that and three is the minimum number you would need to create a you know like a triangle or something in two dimensional space. So three might be the actual minimum number to be able to cause this event to happen. And then in the final frame, right before the zap seems to happen, you can actually see the objects flatten, which would indicate a gravitational lensing effect happening in the area between them, as well as you can actually watch the plane distort and blur. And this blurring, we believe, is because the plane's already beginning to accelerate towards the speed of light in the final frame, just like if you were trying to take a picture of somebody running really fast, uh-huh. right? Right. So to me that's what, and those details are just not to mention the forward-facing excuse me gravity engines that we can see on the orbs at first people are like oh what are these black trails that are coming behind the orbs and then you look at it closely and you realize wait these trails are in front of the orbs they're not even trails at all these are like the geodesic that the that the orbs are creating that they're running along like train tracks on and it's like we've never seen anything like that in ufology like i'm certain because i've been following ufology for five or six years never seen any videos that were this compelling Never seen anything where like, you could actually see the trails in front of any of these UFOs. So who would even have come up with these details? And this is, I'm not gonna go through the list, but the list of faking this is so extensive, the time is so short, that essentially rules out any hoaxing capabilities. despite all these people who overestimate their skills yeah. claiming I could have done this in a few hours. Well, they should, <laughs> if they could do that, they would have done it, right? They would have done I mean, it if they could right. do this. They can't. That's the reality of it. And humans have this way of always overestimating their skills. Even I do so at my work, right? Where I talk to my people and go, yeah, I'll get that to you tomorrow. In fact, I was telling people that just the other day, and then sure enough, other stuff comes up, you get distracted, you realize, oh, it takes a lot yeah. longer than I thought, right? So yeah, the A lot of these details, you'd have to have better understanding of of, of science than so many physics PhDs, better understanding of engineering than people that actually even create these planes because the plane itself is actually maxing out the capabilities of 777-200 wall in descent. If it wasn't descending, then what we'd be seeing in these videos would actually be impossible for the plane. So it's like somebody perfectly scaled down the plane and its capabilities in two different synchronized videos. The math, the sinusoidal pattern, even that, like you'd have to even set that up. You have to be a better math expert than a lot of people who are PhDs. So it's right. the amount of skill and required to set this up isn't even just VFX. It's like you also have to know all this other stuff about science as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like an evil genius. Yeah. Mad scientist. And yeah, like, and then like, what's the motive for making this? Yeah. Yeah. What is the motive? Exactly. Just who who, you just getting off on trying to hoax. And how do they
0: know we're never going to find a plane nine years later? Right. Because the moment we find a plane, this whole thing falls apart. Now there's all all this efforts that you did where you're a PhD in physics and math and engineering where I like all this just falls apart. So the weirdest part is like, as hard as these videos are to believe they tell a story that is more comprehensive than any other story by magnitudes. They bring, they use more evidence than anybody else's story uses uh, without just trying to dismiss people and, and dismiss actual witnesses, which is what all these official, all these narratives that are out there, they all dismiss all the witnesses. They're like, well, you just can't rely on witnesses. Like what? All these witnesses just made up these sightings. Like, oh, uh, right. well, the Immersat data is just, re- you know, th- isn't consistent. Well, the Imersat data wasn't released for months. If you look at the Imersat data, go look at the SU log tab like I did. I feel like nobody has actually looked at it. Go scroll down to 1840 UTC. You know what you're going to see? A bunch of blank rows and zeros. It's like, wait a minute, what? Like, has anyone actually looked at this? Because one thing that I do know is databases and Excel spreadsheets, because uh, that actually is part of my job. And there's nobody in my mind that could look at this and go, nothing, not think something anonymous, anomalous happened at 1839, 1840 yeah. UTC, which coincidentally is the same exact time and location we think this happened. Also the same exact time and location where supposedly the plane turned into the South Indian Ocean. So maybe it just didn't turn into the South Indian Ocean. Maybe it just did what we see in two synchronized videos.
1: Yeah. So basically, for all for all the dummies like me out there, you'd have to be, you know, an MIT mathematics genius, and you'd have to be able be advanced in uh, VFX and (laughs) Hollywood graphics uh, video. So the, the chances of those two meeting, you'd be able to like. Come up with these fake videos, and also have them mathematically perfect, or and then do it for for what for like no yeah. notoriety, it and have it just hidden like- for, for years. You're not, You're
0: not, not me, them have me me come and find it nine years later and start blasting, right, it, right? right. Like, there's literally nobody else is at the moment. <laughs> I mean, sure, Reddit put it out, but, there, but some guy on Reddit, yeah,
1: he some guy on Reddit debunked it. Right there, we go. Yeah, and a lot of people get into it, get into conspiracy theories, and they kind of email and stuff, and it's it's I, I always say Ashton on our show. It's not as easy as we faked the Moon Landing. Mm-hmm. You know, if we faked the Moon Landing, there's a whole backstory of why we did it other than whatever you think you know. Maybe we faked the the version, but we actually went with some other tech that we couldn't show the public. And it's always all the above it seems. There's more levels going on. So maybe our government is working with these entities at some level to Show us how this tech works. Maybe it is our tech that we've reversed engineered. Uh, but I think on our show we've 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 proven the case that blurry creatures exist that you know all kinds of weird there's a hierarchy of them. And even when you say aliens, you're talking about, you know, most people talk about at least six to seven known factions of these things, whether it's grays, Nordics, reptilians, or whatever. I mean the the data goes on and on about, about what is rumored to exist, and there's there is a lot of data on these things. And I know that uh, you're sticking to more of the raw facts because you have you're under high pressure and you're scrutinized, and everything you put out there is scrutinized. and And what a tough place to be in, where you get these emails, and we get them all the time. Is this guy legit? Like we just got one the other day with some guy was fighting Bigfoot in his backyard, like you know, a few miles from us. And we're like, is this guy just? making this up or, or or how do i know this is true or not and you have to kind of roll the dice sometimes
0: skeptics can't believe anything to be real no matter what and they're looking for any reason to not believe which i don't really care about right like i'm not right. trying to reach people that are so invested that it's impossible for them to believe anything yeah i'm just trying to get to the hard evidence and like you said as well i have to be very careful about the stuff that i touch on i think i get asked about remote viewing about you know five times a day uh-huh which yeah. the reality is I'm not digging into any psychic stuff. I'm not digging into esoteric stuff. I know that lets people down, but it's just the reality of the situation is, you know, the people that are trying to scrap the case are looking for any angle in order to, to do so. Right. So I'm not right. giving them anything that I, 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 can't, I don't want to. Right. I think that's so
2: smart though. You have to stick to the, to, to the, facts and the data. Right. Because once you, once you veer from that, then, then it just gives people ammo. They have ammo anyway, but yeah, exactly, man. I, I dude, I, you know what I, I think, you know, speaking for uh, the collective, I think we're grateful that you're doing the work you're doing because yeah, it, it's gotta be crazy and, and scary to be in your position because now, you know, in some ways you you hide in, in, in you have to hide. It's, it's like the Bob Lazar paradigm. You got to hide it sort of in, in, in the public and in the wide open, because if this is what, what it looks to be, and if that ends up being true and you, you're going to open this at some point, this stuff's going to open. And if it is what it is, this is the biggest story that, Of our generation, by far, the and it also corrupt. In sense, you're like a David Grushin, whistleblowing because you those types of people as well. They want the government and and whoever, whether it be the military-industrial complex or whoever, to be honest with with American people and with the with with frankly, the people you know, the the people of Earth, more or less. Like what's what's really happening here? And man, this is this is so cool. I, I, I I this is. It's so fascinating and it's unfolding in front of us. And it really does feel as you kinda of just touched on some of the true crime stuff, it really does feel like like that. Like things continue to roll in and you get new evidence and you know good. Get- yeah, you're
1: in like you're in like season two, you know. You're you have all this backstory and you're in like season two and we're kind of diving in and really you know, you you know, there's a third season coming up here. How, how has your opinion changed on this? Like kind of when you first got into this until where you are right now, where are you right now? Like, I know you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but would love to. Yeah.
0: No, I think that you guys, I want to, and I think that some of that addresses what well, can address based on some of those questions that you mentioned. I think that David Grush is telling the truth. I think that David Grush has an NDA and therefore if he knows about the science behind it, can't say anything because it's national defense purposes. Like, we've identified the leaker as well, potentially to a high degree of certainty. And that person likely went to prison because maybe they didn't even know that these were not UFOs, that this was our advanced technology and that whoever has this technology controls the world. Therefore, it's a national defense issue at this point. And when you think of it from that perspective, the stakes are much, much, mm-hmm. much higher, right? This is not just, we're staring at UFOs, like, no, wait, now we're talking yes. about breakaway civilization technology. Uh, you know, And I don't know regarding... You know, are there aliens out there? Are we working with aliens? Whatever. Personally, that's not where I even, I I care about getting the truth, but that's not where my motivations lie. My Mm -hmm. motivation is just getting the answers of these videos being authenticated for MH370. Mm -hmm. Once I get that, I'm going to leave it to everybody else to figure out what, well, how we, you know, because this is going to give a lot of credibility of truth, a lot of those types of claims and, and stories and stuff that are out there. Uh, And I'm going to let other people fight those battles. I'd be happy to be a voice pushing for true disclosure on behalf of the people seeking the truth. But, you know, this is already like I tell people if these orbs and video and, and zap is not in these videos, I don't think anyone would have a hard time believing the videos to be real, right? Because of the magnitude of the conspiracy we've already proven. Um, and I almost wish that it didn't have that much going on. People sometimes people want me to tie this to other stuff. I'm like, guys, we got we got enough going on in these videos. There's already too much happening in these videos, which is what's breaking people's minds. Especially a lot of the debunkers and people that are the official investigators, the original investigators. Right? It's it's not even a matter like the evidence is so strong they can't refute it. They just can't believe it. Right? That's yes. the issue for a lot of the people. Yeah. So and this is you know can't, it was same thing happened to me. I don't really blame people. Like, and I tell, I like to tell this story where, especially early on, and I started to realize myself that these videos are authentic based on my own investigation. And it's easier for me because I'm so connected to the investigation. I've seen all the little twists and turns. I've seen everything. A lot of other people are just getting a third hand or second hand through me, but I, I couldn't believe what was happening so much that I had to tell my parents like, Hey guys, like, just to let you guys know, like I would have if before this investigation, I would believe it's more likely for aliens to land on my front lawn and say hello to me personally than for something like this <laughs> to exist. And I had to ask some guys, like, I know this is gonna sound just wild, but this isn't some kind of Truman Show level prank that's being played on me, right? Because that almost seemed more plausible than me somehow being drugged into the middle of this, you know, disclosing MH370, advanced technology that's been kept hidden from us people like Salvador Pius, i'm like now like best friends with that before like he was just this like folklore hero in ufology next thing i know like he's like one of my closest confidants all of a sudden whereas yeah. like man this is getting weird right like you start to realize the implications of it and that's where we're at right now with it you know and so i think that it's natural mm-hmm. for people to think out there that Maybe I'm full of myself or egotistical or whatever, but it's not that at all. It's just a matter of the situation. is We're playing at that high a level of stakes here. Like that's really what's in the game here. And that does have a tendency to elevate me, I guess, to a level where I have a platform where if I join yeah. a space, all of a sudden hundreds of people join because they want to hear what's going on with it. All I can tell people is that this isn't a hoax and I never expected this and I never wanted this, but you know I'm definitely not going to you know fumble the ball at this point. Like it's very important we get to the truth. So I think a lot of people out there think that this is the one chance for true disclosure. And I do too. We've proven these videos go back to 2014. Any new videos that come out and stuff like this, even if these videos were to come out in 2023, people are going to say, oh, well, AI just made that, right? I can do that with AI, right. Yep. right? So I would honestly implore people that this is potentially the last chance that we have for true disclosure if these videos are authentic, is that mm. because they date back and predate all that stuff. The only people that could have made them would be the intelligence community themselves, you know, state sponsored actors. And there's no reason it just, the story doesn't make sense from that perspective. What are they going to try to convince CNN viewers that aliens took the plane? It like, <laughs> yeah, doesn't make yeah. sense. You would implicate Russia or something like that, right? You'd have it be an explosion of the plane or something that people can believe, you know, it just doesn't yes. make any sense. And that's the weird well, part is that. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say, I mean, you you always have to factor human emotion into these, into this whole story. I mean, you can't, operate 1000% on, on the data and just not have feelings one way or the other. And the the internet is just a nasty place. I mean, sometimes, you know, just doing our show, you know, it's a different, it's a different beast in itself, but people can be very demoralizing in the way that they, they come at you and the way they try to rip you apart. and, And, and in some ways people get jealous, they get jealous of your channel, they get jealous of your attention. And so instead of helping they want to hijack it, like you said in the beginning of the show. They want to sort of manipulate you and use it for their own, and that's why you kind of have to. It's always good to sleep on something, you know. That, sleep on it twenty four hours, get up the next day with a fresh head, and to keep plowing forward with the data. And um, you know, I, I, well, I know you. Not in a small way. I think we kind of share a little bit of that. Of you know, people can be the worst, and you're just trying to, just trying to blow the whistle. That's all you're trying to do. Saying, look, this technology exists. There's portals. There's orbs. There's UFO tech. It is out there. I don't know where it goes. I don't know where it came from. But these things are true. And these are major discoveries, in in, in a sense, for the general population. Like this, you know, this rumored portal technology that the ancients supposedly had access to. We're doing it today. We're doing it again, you know? So... I appreciate, yeah, and that. I
2: think I, th- I think we're you're experiencing a lot of some of the things that we we traverse to as well. It's you're breaking people's paradigms, right? And what people have is this visceral reaction to that. Like, no, I don't have space for this in in my worldview at all. And because I can't, I can't rationalize this or can't make space, my knee jerk reaction is to throw this out or, or to you know or to viscerally react to it. And what I think is fascinating is, and and what I love what you're doing, man, I, you're, you're out there and and you're just, you're sticking to everything and into the evidence and you're, you're running that down and that doesn't have feelings. And the more you verify that, the more, the more you're able to verify the, the the harder this is to, you know, to sort of just dismiss and, and people's paradigms are getting broken. and And I, and I think that's part of the disclosure thing as well, is that's Man, that, that's the hard thing with people too. And maybe why it doesn't blip as much in the radar is that people just cannot or or don't or will not maybe put this in and, and want to put this sort of in their worldview and break their paradigm because it yeah. will. And then you have to sort of address all these other questions that come along with this. In this case, it's like, what else is my government doing? What are they doing with these people? Why are they disappearing this? Or, or who are they working with? And all these questions become something that, you know, people just are content to to walk around and do their do their day-to-day and they don't want to address these sort of bigger questions. And so I'd say like just collectively, we're grateful that you're out here doing it, man. Because yeah. you put yourself in a, in a position of being sort of the the, the point of the spear and your approach being, you know, very empirical and, and data-driven, I think is so important that this doesn't end up, you know, in some sort of woo, you know, esoteric weird space where then it's easily dismissed because what I think is going to happen and then just sort of prognosticating here is that this is going to end up being we're gonna find out this is true and and all this stuff is true and then it becomes you know how do you reverse engineer that and if you've done if you just follow the data and follow the the evidence um there isn't a way to do that and so man thanks so much for spending time with us and, and yeah. breaking this down and thanks for what you're doing i know this isn't your day your day job right this yeah. is uh i <sighs> gotta go back to being... my day
0: job after this actually <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I,
2: so it's you're, you're doing a service for for you know i, I think for anybody who who values the truth um, over, over a, uh, a canned narrative? And and so, man, thanks for spending time with us and, and for explaining this. And, and hey, we're gonna be watching I, for our listeners. Yeah. If you could, that aren't familiar with your work, if you could tell them where they could interact, follow what you're doing. Yeah, in those places, so they can they can sort of join in.
0: Yeah, and uh, people can follow me on Twitter or X Corp, I guess it's called now, although I always call it Twitter. It's uh, at yeah. just x ashton. Is my handle there you can also follow on youtube at just as well though by far the best place would be to check me out on twitter like you guys mentioned with the twitter files i, I think that if we were under old leadership i would have been banned from there a long time ago um, you can find the best updates there in my highlights as well where i post everything and then you can follow streams which have been pretty much every single night uh related to the case and the, and the updates related to the case on on youtube And then occasionally I post stuff on Instagram, although I've been really bad about it. I'm just, I'm not good with social media. So you guys can follow there. What I would ask is that you please be respectful. Uh, I am building a community here that has higher standards than the rest of the internet. We are not uh, going to, you know, uh, uh, have people who are trolling or what have you. You know, because I think that the internet's got to such a bad place that we need to build something a little bit better here. And this community is special. We do advanced science. We look into the investigation, and then we do a little bit of memes on the side as well. So it's a fun community. <laughs> That's what we do. That's
1: what we do too. We're not we do as smart as you. But uh, yeah. yeah, you kind of you kind of create your own little Cuban missile crisis. So, like, what information do you listen to, and the information has huge implications of of where you go, and it's it's a, it's a stressful situation because you're trying to stay credible so we appreciate you man and and listeners go follow and thanks for thanks for coming on our show and kind of giving that breakdown for people folks because we talked a lot about all these subjects around it
2: and we're excited for season three man we'll see what happens all
1: right
2: thanks ashton appreciate it guys